Well, I hope you're enjoying getting to meet some of these young people who've been coming to light the candles for us and are going to the whole time. Noah and Kate are engaged for this summer. They're walking with the Lord. They're helping in our youth ministry. And uh, I just encourage you to go by there and find them. She's the one with the red hair and the big smile. And uh, they, they are just blessing the church and uh, also being a blessing to all of our young people. You know, you think, well, and, and I'm tr- encouraging you to, to make friends with uh, somebody who's in their 20s at our church as a way of encouraging them in their faith. And, um, you know, you think, I'm, I'm not cool. Well, warm is the new cool, okay? <laughs> if you can be warm to somebody and, and leave them feeling good, then you're cool, okay? And uh, I had a chance that way this week myself because I was going to the Air Force Academy to do some of my, my duty. And so there's a grandma here at church. I won't put her on the spot, uh, Elizabeth Norman. But um, <laughs> she sent me a, a text and just said, do you know, my granddaughter dated a guy who's now going to the academy. Would you look him up? Well, there's 4,000 students. You know, where am I going to find this guy? I said, yes, I'll look him up. Can you get me a phone number? So she got me his phone number, and I texted him, and I said, hey, I would like to meet you because you went out with Alyssa, and her grandmother is really proud of her and really proud of you, and I would like to meet you. And she wondered if I could. Can you meet me at my plane? Because there's a plane that says tie right on the tail at the academy. So, so he, he said, yes, I'll meet you there. And I have a picture I could show you. Okay, so we got this picture, and then I said, oh. Her grandma is so proud of her and so proud of you. In fact, she sent me this picture, and I showed him a picture of the two of them. And he started laughing. Now, this is a guy I've only known for about two minutes, right? And he goes, that's not me in the picture. (laughs) He goes, during her senior year, Alyssa and I had eight major functions at school. There were eight major functions at school, and I dated her for seven of them. But the other one, Clint took her to to the function, and that's Clint in the picture. I said, well, that's really nice. Hope it didn't put you on the spot. Well, later in our conversation, the same young man, I was impressed with him. He said, would you pray for me? He says, pray for me to be strong as a Christian witness in this place. Because a lot of my friends, when you get here, you get thrown into basic and you make friends with the people that you're starting out with. He said, and most of mine are not Christians and they know that I am. So they're watching me to see if I'm going to live for Jesus. They're trying to do what they can to see if they can get me to compromise Would you just pray for me to be strong? So that's what I want us doing with young people just like that here at our church. How do we pray for them, help them make them strong? With our our young preachers, in fact, at the 11 o'clock service, Pastor Derek is going to preach today. And some of you might want to go out and grab your coffee and donut and then come back in. And, you know, if you're not going to Sunday school, come on over and cheer him on. And you'll get to hear a same sermon on the same uh, topic and text just done much better. In fact, after Micah preached last week, somebody came up and said, you know, that's, hey, he was your son, right? I said, yeah. And they said, you should be really proud of him. I said, thank you. And they said, you know, he was really good. I said, thank you. And they said, you know, he's kind of like you, but really not because you're kind of like a comic and he's much more serious. I said, I, ho- I hope that was a compliment, but thank you anyway. <laughs> All righty, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 today, and uh, so you could uh, turn there if you wanted to be ready to look things up in your Bible. We're going to be a bunch of places, so we'll have a lot of them on the screen. We're talking about the priest we need, that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and our king, and our savior. Today we're looking at priest. Well, you know, you could see them coming for miles. From a distance, they look like a line of tiny ants 
following a path, carrying a load, kicking up dust, busy to accomplish something very important. But up close, they looked like any other substantial caravan traveling on the spice route that went from Somalia in Africa to Oman on the Arabian Peninsula, through Gaza, north of Damascus, beyond Persia, all the way to India, transporting goods, precious cargo, food, spices, textiles, cloth, anything, you name it. There were lots of security detail on foot, guards everywhere, a large enough contingency to ward off predators because there's strength in numbers, as well as there were camels loaded to the hilt with treasures hidden under wraps, important people riding horses or donkeys or in carts, and the logistic tail on this thing must have been immense so that this group could transport a treasure without fear. It was a historic road trip, about a thousand miles started from Persia and headed west, day after day, night after night, chasing a dream, following a star, all the way across the desert, in the wind and the heat and the dust and the freezing temperatures at night, step after step, mile after mile, following the star, all the way to Jerusalem. Who are those guys? When they got to Jerusalem, they kind of seemed stuck. They couldn't see the star. They didn't know where to turn next. So they began to ask around. Verse 2, Matthew 2, 2. Where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We have come to worship him. Well, they created quite a buzz in Jerusalem, and they scared everybody. Well, actually, they just scared King Herod. He scared everybody else. I mean, didn't they know that King Herod lived in fear and kept everybody under his thumb? Well, they got the answer they were seeking. Herod himself helped them. When, when what they saw as good news that took them on a journey of a thousand miles, really a journey of a lifetime, that, that maybe cost them their whole life saving to, be, to give a gift that was appropriate, what they saw that way, Herod saw as a threat to national security. And he was looking to end that little life. So the priests and the scholars in the Jerusalem were roused in the middle of the night, summoned by a disturbed King Herod, who desperately wanted to know, where is this threat from my kingdom supposed to come from? Where is its power source? And when did you know it? And what do you know? Well, the scholars knew the answer. Anybody who studied the Scripture and hoped for a better day would learn that one in, in uh, kindergarten Sunday school. I mean, it was hidden right there in plain sight in the ancient text from the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth, one, forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. The baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, that's less than five miles away. The baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. Thanks, scribes and priests. Go home. Go back to sleep. Don't worry about it. The baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. We can get there before breakfast. I mean, these travelers are, are on a quest. They're seekers. They're scholars. They're serious students of the sky. And uh, they don't quite fully know where they're going right now, but they're searching, and they're going to search until they find it. Do you know the Bible? God says, if you search with me with all your heart, you will truly find and they're on a quest. They're called the Magi. We know them as the wise men. And they're following this special star, looking for a supernatural child. And they're bringing gifts worthy enough to give to a king or a high priest or a savior. So let's travel with them a few miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Of course, that means we're going to need to leave King Herod behind, waiting in Jerusalem to receive word from the wise men. So we'll have to come back to Jerusalem next week because they left a firestorm behind. 
But they kept walking, kept moving forward, went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, following the star, and hidden under wraps, the wise men have some of the most precious gifts for a very special child. Let's break into the story, verse 9 of Matthew 2. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You ever been that excited? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men, of course, we always think there's three because there's you know, three gifts. But I bet they looked a whole lot more like the Crimson River guys, don't you think? I mean, some of them taller, some of them shorter, some of them lower, some of them high, you know, some of them with gold, some with frankincense, some with myrrh. Who knows what else they brought along? With them. That's just what got mentioned. But these wise men are arriving in Bethlehem very late for the very first Christmas, quite late, maybe a year or two. And the little baby has been born into a poor refugee family that was in an overcrowded city of frustrated people who are paying taxes they don't want to pay, that they're being forced to pay. And well, now all those people paid those taxes, grumbled, and went home. And he's a toddler, and their family has stayed in Bethlehem, living in a house now in the village of Bethlehem. There was a big stir the night he was born because the angels lit up the sky with singing praises to God, and the shepherds, most of them who weren't even old enough to be teenagers yet, went through town yelling, waking everybody up, banging on doors, trying to find this baby. He's lying in a manger. Hey, you got a manger? You got a baby in it? You know, and waking everybody up, searching for the special child that the angels had announced to them. Well, most people heard the disturbance, but just rolled over and went back to sleep, kind of like you do when you hear a police siren in the night or a train whistle. You just ignore it. And by the time the wise men arrived, a year or so later, life had pretty much gotten back to normal. Mary and Joseph had taken their baby to the temple when he was eight days old, probably for his circumcision and a dedication to the Lord at eight days. You can read it in Luke chapter 2. And they had given the offering required in the law, that if you were a poor family, here's what you gave, two turtle doves. If you had more means, then you gave a larger gift. They gave the poorest of the poor gift. They didn't have much. And they had just paid their taxes for the year or for the decade or, you know, money was tight. And they had stayed in Bethlehem for who knows what, maybe to recuperate and to get the strength to return home to Nazareth. And suddenly this huge caravan shows up knocking on their door. They've come seeking the baby who has been born to be king, and they've come to worship him. Well, they come bearing gifts, expensive gifts, lavish, over-the-top kinds of gifts. Um, the, not the kind we're buying for Christmas, you know what I'm saying? And, and the first gift, a fortune in gold, was a gift for a king. And I'm guessing, since I have a grandson about this age, that, that the little baby Jesus might have been more impressed, more, might have been more curious about the box or the trunk that the gold came in than he was with the coins or, or the blocks of gold. But let's come back to that gift later. The second gift was a fortune in frankincense, and that would have raised eyebrows. Why would you come this far and work this hard to give a baby some frankincense? Honestly, do you really even know what it is? Who here, come on, let's be honest, who here could identify it without reading the warning label? That's what I thought. Me too. I mean, what is frankincense? It's, I mean, the baby Jesus wouldn't give it much attention. It didn't look like much. It didn't taste like much. And it's possible, you know how when you give a gift and then you watch the person to see, you know, do they like the gift they gave them, regardless of what they say, you know, I'm trying to read it in their face, in their eyes, in their body language. 
I'm guessing that when they opened the gift of frankincense, one of the wise men standing there and he's watching them and they open this thing. Well, what is this? It looks like junk, you know, and it doesn't taste like anything and it doesn't really, you can't really smell it until I guess he went over and he picked some of them up and he tossed it in the fireplace. Now all of a sudden they know exactly what it is, right? I mean, this is a gift that's fit for a priest. It's not something that a poor little family would own. It's far too expensive for a family on a tight budget. And besides that, the Old Testament law strictly limits who can own frankincense. This is a gift for a priest, and Jesus came to be our high priest. Frankincense is sap, and it's extracted from the bark of the Boswellia tree that grows in desert regions like in Oman on the spice route. And it could be turned into powder or coils or sticks or, or crystals of incense. And, and it doesn't look like much and it doesn't taste like much. And Mary and Joseph might not have even recognized it at first. But when they saw the smoke, when they smelled the smell, they instantly recognized it. Do you have smells that way that remind you of certain things? I mean, anytime I smelled burning tar, they were still putting tar roofs on the high school the day I started high school. And we had just gotten to town the day before that. And I didn't know anybody at the school, in fact, well, except one, and she pretended she didn't know me. It was my cousin. And, uh, you know, um, uh, and nobody told me what to wear. So I'm wearing something that's rather lavish for the day. And, uh, and there's this burning tar. And I've had therapy, so I'm, I'm past it. Okay, but um, every time I smell tar, it takes me back to the first day of high school. Or do you smell somebody's perfume and it reminds you of somebody that you loved and hopefully they loved you back, you know? And, and you smell that perfume and it brings a, a wave of emotion and, and, and memories back to you. Joseph and Mary would have smelled this smell before. It would have triggered a memory for them. This would have been burning at the temple when they took their baby boy there to have him dedicated to the Lord. Now early on, God had claimed frankincense to be the smell of worship and of prayer. He claimed it for himself, kind of like, I've got shotgun, you know, with the, with the kids. Um, and uh, God had claimed it um, to be his own. So here's the guidance that God gave Moses way back uh, when uh, they were going through the desert. In Exodus 30, it says, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stockti and anka and galbanum, I guess I should have practiced those, I don't really know how to say them, and sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each there shall be an equal part. So those four things, mix them together and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You will beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It will be most holy for you and the incense that you will make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume will be cut off from his people. God's saying this is for me. This smell identifies worship and prayer. Don't use it at home. Now, if you do a study of the word incense in the English Bible, it appears about 143 times, and the vast majority of the references are to worship and to prayer. So let's pretend that we're at the temple in Jerusalem and the year that the wise men visit, and it's the 10th day of the Jewish lunar month of Tishri, and it's the high priest's moment to shine. It's the day you'll know the name is Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement. It's the one and only day of the year where the priest takes a sacrifice and he goes behind the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. 
Only a handful of men ever entered the holiest place on earth into the presence of God of Israel. I believe God resided in that room. The holy of uh, the high priest would come in one time a year with a rope tied to his leg that if he was the sacrifice was not acceptable and he was died by the hand of God, you could get his body back out without going behind the curtain to get him. It's an awesome privilege, but the priest also is aware I could die today. Now, most people who went in there were the high priest. In 63 BC, Pompey was bringing his Roman legions through Jerusalem to kind of quell, uh, calm things down. And uh, he got to the temple. He'd heard about the place. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he said, well, I would like to look around. They gave him the tour, but they didn't show him in there. He goes, what's in there? That's the Holy of Holies. Only the priest goes in there. I want to see. No, only the priest. He goes and opens the curtain himself. And he said, what's in here? He goes, oh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot in here. They were surprised he didn't die. They were hoping he would. About 20 years later, 20, 30 years later, Herod is wanting to build the temple and make it look beautiful, kind of so his name would be attached to it. And uh, they were afraid that he had some kind of trick up his sleeve. They didn't trust him. And they said, you can't have just ordinary masons working on the Holy of Holies. That's God's holy place. That's where God resides. And so to get his job done, Herod said to them, I'll tell you what, let's do. You give me some priests that are holy enough to work in that area, and I will teach them to be masons, and then they will build that portion, rebuild that portion of the temple. And so that's what they did, and that's how they got uh, the temple uh, improved and upgraded the way Herod expanded everything, and, and, but that part had to be built by the priests. Only the priest went in there, and when he went in, he had a censer filled with hot coals in one hand that had come off of the altar, and in the other, he's holding the incense to be poured onto the coals, and he enters the Holy of Holies they, they take back the curtain and he sprinkles the incense on the hot coals and the distinct aroma and the smoke that that fills the place um, before God is is a gift and it basically says we're coming into the presence of God you have a picture of this in Isaiah 6 remember where it says in the year that King Uzziah died I went to the temple and I saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple and the whole place was filled with smoke and, and it references the incense and it says holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty that you could go read that that scene but that incense, the smell, it's the smell of worship. Now, Yom Kippur wasn't the only time that incense was offered to God. The Old Testament is, is full of incense offerings. In fact, they offered incense 365 days a year in the morning and in the evening. It says in Isaiah, or Exodus 30, Verse 7, and Aaron will burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he dresses the lamps, he'll burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he will burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generation. God wanted a relationship with people. God still wants a relationship with individuals, with you. God loves you. Not just one time a year. He wants a, a, a relationship that's meaningful and significant. So he doesn't want to get together just once a year or once a week God wants a permanent, daily, significant friendship, relationship with you. That's good news. Here's the problem. God is holy. We are not. We can't just walk into God's presence. We have impure minds and hearts. We have filthy thoughts and words. And there's blood on our hands. So a sinful man needs a priest to represent him, to open the way to before God, to bring the sacrifice Someone who can stand before God as our representative, as our advocate, bringing a sacrifice in his hand to atone for sin. Someone who could make God's chosen people acceptable in God's presence. Someone who could offer prayer 
and praise on behalf of the people. Someone who could lead the people in worship of God. Someone who could help maintain that relationship between God and man. God gave Israel priests. It was all God's idea. Went to Moses one day and he said, okay, Moses, here's what we're going to do. Your brother Aaron is going to be the high priest and his sons are going to be his assistants. And, and, and there's whole chapters. You could read Exodus 28. The whole book of Leviticus is basically on all the things that they would wear and what they would do, what they would eat, what they wouldn't eat. It goes on and on and on and on ad nauseum for us. But it was all very important to say, let's do this exactly by the book. Let's do this right. In fact, all of the, the high priest vestments they were seen as such a position of significance and power that when the Romans came along, they said, we're going to keep those in a closet locked in our fortress. And on the holy days, if you've been good, we'll give them to you and let you borrow them. So God got all this set up with Aaron, Moses' brother, being the high priest and uh, beginning to offer sacrifices and prayers and worship on behalf of the people and uh, because they, the sinful people needed a priest. They needed a mediator between God and man. We still need a priest. And you know why? Because we know our sins and we know our guilt and we know our efforts at righteousness are never enough and we're striving to clean it all away, but we can't do it in our own strength, in our own efforts. And we need to be cared for and known better than we can care for or know ourselves. And our prayers are inadequate, and we don't even know our own needs. So this went on, the, the sacrifices and prayers and worship and incense, for hundreds of years. Hundreds of thousands of sacrifices made. And you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work. You know why it didn't work? Because of insufficient sacrifices. If you read in Hebrews 10, 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was just a representative of what was coming, that an innocent human life had to be shed for the, for the paying of sin. And there was only one person who could do that, and that was Jesus, who was fully human and fully God. So there was insufficient sacrifices with the bulls and the goats and the lambs. There was also and goats. I don't think they ever did goats. Did they? Where'd that come from? And they had inadequate priests as well. They were inadequate morally. The priests were still people and they sinned. And if you read in Ezekiel 44, which Ezekiel was one of the prophets. Remember we talked about prophets last week. Prophets basically said, you sinned, you need to get right with God. That's the what. If a person said, you're right, I'm sinned, I need to get right with God, how do I do that? Now the priest comes along and is able to show them how, but the priest himself was a sinful person. In fact, in Ezekiel 44, verse 10, it says, God says, but the Levites who went far from me, the priests, in other words, who had sin in their life and were still trying to be a priest, going astray from me after their idols when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They will be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifices for the people, and they will stand before the people to minister to them because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, they will bear their punishment, for they will not come near to me to serve me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they will bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple to do all its service and all that is done in it. God is saying, look, and this is a sharp warning for people who serve in the name of the Lord of are you going to serve with 
with sin in your life or are you going to get right with God first and minister in a way that God who can see in your heart is pleased with you first as a person and then acting as a priest? God said the priests are inadequate morally because they still sin. He also said the priests are inadequate mortally because they die and you have to replace them. So the system wasn't working all that well. So then why didn't it end? Because you still had a need for God and man to connect with each other. God hadn't given up on man even though he's still sinful and he's still separated. And God promised that the kingdom of David would last forever, but also in Jeremiah 33, it promises that the Levitical priest will never lack for a man in my presence, that there will always be a high priest before the Lord to, uh, to bring people into a relationship and with God. And here's the good news. God sent the perfect high priest into this world. His name is Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. The wise men were some of the first responders to the new, see the new high priest, and they brought frankincense as a gift to the baby, a gift that only a priest could use to honor God. So how is Jesus the priest that we need? Well, Jesus is the complete sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. His innocent blood can atone for our sin. He himself is perfect. And he's the final. And you could read all through the book of Hebrews, this is over and over, how Christ is better than the priest. He's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than, and he's the best. And what Jesus did, his a sacrifice on the cross paid for your sin and mine completely. So Jesus died once for all, and that paid the price because he's God and he's man and he lived the perfect life. So we don't sing Jesus paid it 80%. We've seen Jesus paid it all. You know, even from the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. He didn't cry out, it's almost over. It's almost done. It's almost completed. It's close to being done. No, he said, it is finished. He's paid the whole price. So by his life and his death, Jesus made us right, a way for us to be right with God. He ended the need for there to be worship in the temple where they thought God lived in that place. When Jesus died, the curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. Basically, God pulling the curtains back to say, anybody can look in here. It doesn't have to just be um, the, holy, uh, the high priest. It doesn't have to be just Pompeii or Herod or whoever else has the power to force their way in. I'm opening the way to God for whosoever will. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus had died for our sin. He came back to life. He will never die again. So he can be our high priest forever. So the wise men bring the gift of frankincense to Jesus because he is the future high priest. He's the forever high priest. Jesus replaced all other priests. He's the one and only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who brings people from all nations to worship God. See, God had a plan that would extend his worship far beyond the nation of Israel. God was blessing the people of Israel. He told them all the way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing to the whole world. And largely the Jewish people missed that. They just heard God saying, I'm going to bless you. And they thought they're going to contain all the blessings themselves and never caught the idea that they had a message to share with the world that God still wants the world to know. In fact, in Malachi 1.11 it says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 
Now listen to this scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are the aroma of Christ. I don't know if you ever thought of yourself as frankincense before. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we are the fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who's sufficient for these things? And the answer is none of us without the power of Jesus Christ. To think that our words, our prayers, our lives are the aroma of Christ back to God, and God loves it. That when God hears our prayers, he's reminded of Jesus. And God intends for this love fest, this restoring relationship of mutual admiration to continue forever. In fact, this shows up all the way through the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation. In chapter 5, it says, When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Did you get that? Our prayers are the incense of heaven. To God, our prayers smell good. He loves to hear from us. It's the aroma of heaven. David said in Psalm 142, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And more than that, God is using us to share his love with the whole world. That we are the priests who support the great high priest. How do we reflect Jesus as priest? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our lives are a sacrifice that point to Jesus Christ. And when you have to sacrifice something for the sake of Christ, you are being that sacrifice. And our job as the priests are to bring others to Jesus, to be that one who connects people to Jesus. And we offer prayers for others. So we serve as priests. So then what shall we do? Hebrews 10, 19 says this. In fact, pop it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. You ready? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to draw near in confidence to God because of Jesus. And our job is, to, as this said, to continue to meet together and to, from a true heart to share the good news with people who need to hear about Jesus. See, this Christmas, may you give Jesus the incense of your worship 
and your prayers of repentance and your prayers of adoration and your prayers of concern for others. And may it be the beautiful aroma of heaven to Jesus, the aroma of home where people are in love. And may we be prompted to greater caring, more intentional praying, more compassion for those who have yet to find the love of Christ. That's what's so sweet about what we're doing with the Marines, that we're reaching out to people who can't repay you, many of them who are a long way from home and don't know the love of Jesus. And we uh, can, can uh, reach them with his love through their stomachs. Pretty good deal. May we be prompted to greater caring and praying. We are the aroma of Christ. And he is our high priest. He has brought, brought the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And he opened for a way for us to be in a love relationship with God. There doesn't have to be anybody between you and God now except Jesus is that mediator. He's the bridge. He's the way. So the wise men worshiped Jesus as the perfect priest. And they brought this gift of frankincense, the aroma of prayer and of worship. And they left Herod agitated back in Jerusalem. And so we'll have to go visit him next week, catch up and see how he's doing. But the wise men still worship Jesus today. He's our perfect priest to get us right with God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are that priest for us, that you are the one who stands in our place that the angels came and declared that story. You invite us, come and worship, come and worship. We love you. We worship you today. Thank you for being our great high priest. May the aroma of our prayers be pleasing in heaven. Amen.